<clears throat> Scripture reading this morning comes from John <clears throat> chapter 11, beginning with verse 17 through 26. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 951. And it reads, Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. Many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And, whoso believe, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. We're thankful that you've chosen to be here today. Most scholars picture Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on Thursday night. It was a difficult, dark night. One of his friends, Judas, would come to betray him. The Jews would make plans of what they were going to do with him. That night and the next morning on Friday, he would be mocked. He would have a court session that wasn't fair at all. He would be denied by another close friend. He would be crucified. His body would be laid in a borrowed tomb. At that moment, it would appear that things were doomed. It would appear that all has been lost. It would have been a very dark and difficult day. But then came Sunday. Sunday was the great resurrection. Sunday was when the tomb was found empty. Sunday, Jesus was alive. Sunday, Jesus presented himself alive to his closest disciples and then eventually to others. Sunday brought a great joy. But what about Monday? What about Monday for those believers in Jesus? What did Monday bring? Monday and the following Mondays and the following weeks and the following months, we see that the resurrected Lord affected their life in a great way that they believe that the agenda of the kingdom of heaven ought to be advanced around the world. As a matter of fact, some would have probably described it in reckless abandonment. They begin to sell all of their possessions. They begin to go into public and to private, to the marketplaces, to even places that people didn't want to hear it. And they talked about Jesus. They would be persecuted and they still wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. Should we please man or should we please God? And they continued to talk about Jesus. And the kingdom of, of heaven is swelled and it grew in Jerusalem. And then throughout all the parts of the earth until all of the earth in the first century, every living creature had heard of the resurrected Lord. Sunday of the resurrection 
greatly affected the first century Christians. How does it affect you? Does the living Lord, the resurrected Lord affect you in that way? Or would it appear that your life is much more affected by that dark day on Friday? Which one is the greater reflection in your life? Thanautopia is a fear of death. It's an abnormal fear of death. It's where people do or do not do things throughout the day and throughout their life because of their fear of death. Maybe they won't drive down a certain road because there's a cemetery right next to the road. They won't stand somewhere because it's close to a tombstone. They won't go to a funeral home because it represents in their mind death. They hate to go to hospitals. Psychologists even tell us that we are much more affected by death than what most of us probably think. You see, probably many here this morning would say, I, I'm not afraid of death. It, it really doesn't have that much to do with what I do or don't do in my life. You may not be afraid of it, but it affects your life greatly. If you don't believe it, go to Bible class this morning and look on the board to see what the prayer requests are. See how many prayer requests have to do with people's health because we don't want them to what? Die. Listen to the prayer request and see if we're praying for people's what? Safety. We pray for the safety of our children. We pray for the safety of people on trips. We pray for the safety of individuals because we don't want them to die. We have alarms in our houses. We beg our kids not to text and drive, although now the percentage has proven that more adults text and drive than children, but that's not the topic. We beg them not. We beg them not to text and drive. Why? Because we don't want them to what? Die. And psychologists now have revealed that a lot of our culture in America, and we're not the first culture by any means to reveal this, we don't like to visit nursing homes because it reminds us that that's the last step before death and we'd rather not be reminded of that. We don't like to visit hospitals or take care of the homeless because it represents people who are weak and they're just one step closer to death and the American culture doesn't like to be reminded of that. Today we have allowed beauty, represented by youthful beauty, to create a standard where those are the people that are the most honored, the most esteemed, and the most held up in our society. And therefore, because of that, plastic surgery, dyeing the hair, and all other kind of things that try to bring us back to a youthful look are esteemed, and they're grasped at, and, and they're in desperation trying to be brought back into our life. Why? Because we don't want to think that we could ever be getting near that stage of death. We as an American culture are much more affected by the Friday than we are by the Sunday. But hopefully that doesn't describe us here today. Today we have so much more to live for. We have so much, much greater hope. Would the American culture best describe your life or would the thinking of Christianity like where Paul would say in Philippians the first chapter, I just want us to run through some introductory verses and then go right back to this beautiful chapter about a resurrection. 
In Philippians, the first chapter, in verse 20, Paul is looking at that ex earnest expectation and that hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always. So now also, notice this, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. How do you feel about that, Paul? Well, he would say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Where's the fear of death? It's not there at all. As a matter of fact, for Paul, it's a welcome sight. Can you imagine Paul saying, I've got a prayer request this morning. I'd like for you to pray that I have a safe trip on a journey. I really can't hear Paul throwing that out as one of the early things in a prayer request. I loved a letter that I got before I went on the campaign a few weeks ago. It said, I'm praying for a safe trip. Then it said, but that's not the most important. It said, most importantly, I'm praying that souls will be reached. And then that person that wrote that letter quoted Matthew 10 and 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Which one do you fear? Obviously, we expect America to fear physical death. The very idea that if we're going to die physically, all is lost. That's just horrible. The end is there. And if someone that we love is going to die physically, that's just horrible. We expect, we expect our American culture to have that view. But we can't expect or accept that Christians would have that view. Instead, as Christians, we ought to have the stirring of, of, of grief that is deep, that is painful whenever there is spiritual death. Whenever there is one that has lost their way, whenever there is one that is overtaken with sin, whenever there is one that has become rebellious against their God, whenever there is one who is no longer living for the Lord. Many years ago, I told you a true story a woman that received a horrible phone call one morning. She began to cry and her two younger sons were sitting there eating their cereal and they watched their mother hang up the phone and they said, Mama, what is wrong? And she said, Your brother is dead. They dropped their spoons and their cereal and they began to cry and they began to ask questions. What happened to him? Where was he? How did he die? And when she gained her composure, she finally said to them, He died in sin. His life is separated from God. And they grew angry with their mother. And they said, why would you do that to us? We thought that something horrible had happened. And she looked at them and said, don't you realize something horrible has happened? And this is a woman that already died, buried a son who was right with God. And she said, I would much rather lose another son physically than to lose a son spiritually. Which one are you afraid of? Are you afraid of sin? Are you afraid of the one that can kill your soul? Are you only afraid if you have a horrible car accident and you're rushed to Vanderbilt and you don't know for sure if you're going to make it or not? Listen, that's nothing. That's nothing. That's a cakewalk. Lose your soul. Live separated from God for an eternity. Live only in view of that Friday, of that horrible Thursday night. 
live without the resurrection in your life. And you will know the worst death that any of us will ever experience. You see, death is kind of like our A to Z in the scriptures. We open up the Bible and as early as Genesis, the third chapter, man and woman are being warned not to sin. Why? Why shouldn't we sin? And in Genesis 3 and verse 2, the woman told the serpent that we can eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it or touch it, lest you what? Die. And you remember what they did. Satan lied and said, you will not surely die, but they did die. Immediately as they did that, they were separated from God. It was spiritual death. And later on, because of that, they, their family experienced physical death. I wonder how many times those words echoed in their mind whenever they, they saw their son, Abel, dead. And because he probably was the first human being to die, I wonder how they grasped that. I wonder if they thought if we shake him long enough, he'll wake up again. I wonder if they thought if we visit him again this afternoon, maybe he'll be awake. Maybe if we come back tomorrow, he'll be standing up. Maybe he'll come to the breakfast table. Can you imagine how difficult it was for the first people to see death for the first time and try to grasp what is this death that God warned us against? What is it that he told us? Don't do this lest you shall die. Well, it has been an enemy. Since that very time, it's been a horrible enemy. And if you go to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, we read the A to Z. We just read the beginning of the Bible. Now let's read about the end of times. And in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verse 24, 1 Corinthians 15 and 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Jesus is going to come again, and when he comes again, there's going to be a slaughter of all of the enemies of his and of mankind. I don't know the list of all the enemies that are going to be destroyed, but he's going to destroy them all, and he's going to save one back. He's going to save one back for the end. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death itself. You and I will never have to experience another goodbye. We'll never have to experience a death. We'll never have to experience a funeral. Why? Because death will die at the hands of the Redeemer. Do we understand death, the consequence of sin? Do we understand life, the resurrection? The blessing of living with the one who said in the text that's already been capably read this morning, I am the resurrection. Let's go back to that story and I'd like to take you back to the first verse earlier than the text that was written. Let's go to John, the 11th chapter and verse one. And as you look in your Bible, you see that this is a long story and this is a long story that involves Lazarus and Mary and Martha and Jesus and even some of the other Jews standing around. And because of the length of this passage, we cannot develop even all of the entire story, but I'd like for you to see some things, especially this morning as it pertains to the setting of Lazarus' death and, and Jesus. Jesus working with his disciples and then talking especially to Martha. If you'll notice in verse one, you'll notice the setting. 
You see there that there was a certain man that was sick, Lazarus of Bethany in the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Jesus was close friends with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Bethany was just less than two miles out of the area of Jerusalem. And there you will remember from last Sunday morning's lesson, Jesus is the door. You remember the setting for Jesus being the door? You remember he told that story and he gave that teaching because he had healed a blind man. And he healed that blind man on the Sabbath day and it stirred up the anger and the jealousy of the Pharisees. Now what we didn't cover last week simply because it was a little bit deeper in the text of John the 10th chapter, but if you have your Bible open, you can flip right there in John the 10th chapter and you can see something that, that ties into this story that we're about to read. Did you notice there in John 10 and 31, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. What's this? Jesus is going to heal a fellow Jew and the result is going to be other Jews are going to try to kill him. And look in 39, therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand and he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first and there he stayed. Well, how long did he stay there? Until Lazarus died. And now let's pick up what's gonna happen. Let's drop down now in John the 11th chapter and verse seven. Then after he said to the disciples, let us go up to Judea again, the disciples said, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you and are you going there again? Now you can imagine their thinking is, we love you, Jesus, we don't want you to die. Also their thinking is, we traditionally follow you everywhere you go. Last time we had to duck out of town and follow you lest we get killed. And now are we gonna have to follow you back to the same place or very close to the same place where we almost died last time? And notice verse 14, Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead and I'm glad for your sakes that I'm not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. We see there part of the conviction of Thomas. He's gonna walk with Jesus. And Thomas, where are you walking? Most likely we're about to walk into death. That's the way it almost ended last time. They're gonna be waiting on us this time. Jesus, why would we be doing this? Why would anyone risk their life to go to help another? Humility. You see, we don't give up ourselves. We don't risk our comfort. We don't risk our life to help others unless we're humble, unless we truly believe that others are greater than ourselves. Now I wanna state that again to make sure that we all recognize this simple teaching. We will not risk, we will not sacrifice, we will not give to help others unless we truly believe others are as important or greater than us. Why would Jesus leave the safety of where he was to risk his life to go back to Bethany? Because he loved Lazarus. In his humility, he saw Lazarus greater than him. Who was Lazarus? Lazarus may have been a good man, but he's like the rest of us. He was a sinner. Who was Jesus? Jesus was God in flesh on earth, perfect, never sinned. It would be easy for us to justify and say, Jesus was much greater than Lazarus. Not in Jesus' eyes. Let's ask this same question. Why would Jesus leave the perfection and the comfort of heaven to come to this earth 
to not only risk his life, but to give his life. Leaving comfort to come to discomfort. Leaving life to come to death. Why would he do that? We don't have to guess at that. Philippians, the second chapter. Be turning there. Philippians, the second chapter. There are several verses about the humility of Jesus, of him leaving heaven and coming in the form of a man and taking upon himself the form of a servant. And look at verse 8, Philippians 2 and 8. And being found in the appearance as a man, he what? Humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Listen, the story we're reading this morning was a great occurrence in the life of Jesus because it proved so much. One of the things that's easy to just move over and, and not recognize but this morning, let's pause just for this moment and recognize one of the great things that this story reveals about Jesus is Jesus' great humility. The very same thing that took him back to Bethany is the very same thing that brought him to this earth. His love and his humility. His love for others and his great humility that he expressed and exemplified in everything that he did. But I'd like for you to notice that there's something else. It's not just the actions, although those are huge. The action of a resurrection, that's powerful. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But it was also his words. We do not know the things of God unless God reveals those things to us. It is in this story that Jesus reveals many things to us about him and about his power. I'd like for you to see that one of the things that he wanted revealed that day was he wanted the glory of God to be revealed. Drop back again to John the 11th chapter, except this time let's go back to verse 4. We skipped over that just a few moments ago. Look at John 11 and 4. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Now that may sound strange because we know that Lazarus died. So when he says it's not unto death, he's not saying Lazarus is not going to die. He's saying that's not going to be the end of it. In other words, the end of this is not going to be that Lazarus remains dead. The end of this is going to be that people are going to glorify God because they're going to see the power of God in all this. And so we finish verse 4, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And when he was talking to Martha about the resurrection, Jesus said to her, I'm in verse 40 now, skip down to verse 40. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So this morning, we're not guessing. We're listening to Jesus. Jesus is revealing to us. We could say, Jesus, why did this take place? Why is this recorded in the scriptures? And he would say, I want people to know the glory of God. Okay, so in this we see his humility and we are hearing and seeing the glory of God. But there's also something else that is going to be revealed. And it's going to be revealed that he truly is the resurrection. Let's drop down to 11 and 23. We're going to read several verses here that's already been read. But I just want to get these back in your mind again. Look at John 11 and 23. Jesus said to her, you know, she's, she's come running up to him and said, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus says to her in 23, your brother will rise again. Now, Martha's theology is good here. She seems to have an understanding that would have been equivalent or maybe even better than many others of, of her day and of that time period. And notice what she says in 24. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, notice the present tense here. 
I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He has just stated to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Now, I don't think that Martha's trying to squirm around, and I'm definitely not trying to throw Martha under the bus. I'm just saying that Martha is probably going through a similar time that all of us probably always go through, and many of us could say, I'm there right now. And that's where the Lord is trying to teach us something, the Lord is trying to show us something, and we grasp one part of it, but we don't grasp the fullness of it. And that seems to be what's happening here. He is not just saying to her, I'm the Messiah. He's saying to her, I have power over life. And it's not just in the end. I have power over life today. How quickly would, would those of us in this audience say, I believe in that great resurrection at the end of time. I believe that when we die physically, there's going to be a great resurrection in the end. I believe in that. But then tomorrow something will happen to you and you will doubt as if God has no power. Now, how can that be? If we really believe that he has the power to resurrect everybody that's ever lived, how can we today say, I guess he just doesn't have that power yet? Notice again, I, I want to take your eyes back again. Look at verse 27. He's asking 26, do you believe this? That he's the resurrection and the life. And notice her answer. And again, I'm not trying to throw her under the bus, but notice her answer. Yes, Lord. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. You say, that's a great answer. It is a beautiful answer. But that's not what he was saying to her. He was saying to her, I'm the resurrection and life. Your brother's dead. I'm telling you he's going to live because I am, present tense, I am the resurrection and life. Oh, yes, Lord, we believe you're the Christ. We believe you're the Son of God. We believe that you're the glorified one. You think she got it? Well, we know she didn't get it because when you read on a little bit deeper and, and Jesus shows us his humanity as he's troubled and he's groaning in the spirit and, and Jesus wept and, and they're there at the tomb. And so finally he gives out the command. Look there in the 11th chapter in verse 39. Jesus said, now we're gonna tie this back to Martha again. So, so just think about this as it relates to Martha. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? You see how Jesus is holding her accountable because he's wanting her to learn. And it's recorded because he's wanting all of us to learn. He's not just God on earth. He is God on earth that has power over death. He is the only one that can give life. And so when he said to her, do you believe? And she throws out a, yes, I believe. And now he's ready to remove the stone. And she says, whoa, we can't do that. He's going to smell. He says, you don't get it. Really saying, you don't believe. I've told you. And now you're proving you don't believe. And so he did that. So that, why did he do it? So that all there and all of us today would believe in what has been revealed. 
That day he revealed that he had power over death. Friends, that is beautiful. What does it mean to believe? Years and years ago, there was a man named John Patton that, that was a missionary, and I'm not even sure of what faith it was, but he lived in the South Sea Islands, and he was learning their language and then translating the Bible into their language because they didn't have the Bible in their language. And what he found out was that as he learned their language and began translating in their language, they had no word for the word belief. Now imagine trying to translate the Bible into a language that doesn't have a word for belief. And so as he thought, what other words, what other phrases, what could I do that would communicate belief? And as he wrestled with that, one of the natives come rushing into his office and he just kind of fell back in a chair and he relaxed. And he watched that man throw all of his weight onto that old chair. And of course the thought went through his mind, what if that chair broke? But then also the thought went through his mind, that man trusted that chair completely. And he thought, that's kind of like belief. To throw all of yourself at something, expecting it to hold you. Martha, do you believe? I'm willing to remove this stone. Do you believe? Do we really believe that that Sunday took place? I'm not saying what have you been taught since you were a little boy or girl. This morning, I'm asking you in your life of faith and conviction, does your Monday look like you believe? Does your Monday look like you throw all of yourself upon the resurrected Lord? Or does your Monday look more like Friday of darkness and pain? As we start bringing this to a conclusion, I'd like for you to notice again, John 11 and 25, just as a reminder. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of life. It's present tense. Jesus did not say to her, I can resurrect. He didn't say to her, I will be resurrected. Although those things are true, he uses that same language that God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, I am. And so in John 10, he says, I am the door. And now in this chapter, he says, I am. Not I can or I will be. He says, I am the resurrection. You and I can't talk about anything beyond death with any hope unless we believe in the one who is the resurrection. With this in mind, I'd like to read this and, and just kind of fill in what is implied there. I'm still at John 11 and 25. I am the resurrection and the life, eternal life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, talking about physically, he shall live spiritually. And whoever lives spiritually and believes in me shall never die spiritually. And then he says to her, do you believe this? This morning, we're about to extend an invitation. And I'm asking you, do you believe that? The Lord is asking you, do you believe that? Do you fear physical death or do you fear that your soul is in spiritual death? Which one should you fear the most? Friends, that is not even something we ought to belabor. We must fear anything that can kill the soul and the body. So what's the hope? How can we be protected? 
There is one who is the resurrection. He can lift up our soul from spiritual death. He can give us life. He can give us guidance. He can give us hope. He can give us an eternity. And all of these blessings, they don't wait until the final end. He's the resurrection today. And what a beautiful and powerful thought that is. And so I want to drop down to John 11 and 43. John 11 and 43. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Notice this next slide. It's just an artistic rendering and I'm not even saying it's a great artistic rendering, but just try to picture it. What would it have been like that day to say, he's been dead four days. And, and you hear an authoritative voice. It's, it's not a, any kind of inquisitiveness of, I wonder if this can happen. Lazarus, come forth. How could he say it with such confidence? I'm the resurrection. He calls Lazarus forth. Get those clothes. Get those, those clothes, those grave clothes. Get those off of him. Unbind him. Set him free. He's calling us spiritually and there's not a question as whether or not he can revive us spiritually. And what he wants to do is get those sinful clothes, get those sinful bandages and, and the bondage of sin off of us. Let you be free. Free to what? Free to live. To live with him for an eternity. Paul knows this. So in 1 Corinthians 15 and 55, he mocks and pokes a little fun at death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, or oh, grave, where is your victory? In verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that victory, this chapter ends by saying, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This morning, do you live your life more in view of the resurrected Lord? Or do you live your life more in view of that Friday scene where sin seemed to rule? None of us are perfect. The only hope we have is the one who said, I am the resurrection. The tomb was found empty and you and I can live. This morning, if you're ready to be baptized into Christ so that you can be resurrected in newness of life, we would love to assist you with that. This morning, if you've begun that journey, but along the way, you've lost the way and you want to come back and confess sin and pray forgiveness that the Lord will welcome you back home. We would love to assist you with that. This morning, if you just have prayer requests or questions and you want to study more either during this time of encouragement or even after the service, if we can help you in any way, our goal, our passion is that we want to walk with the resurrected Lord and we want to help others do the same. We don't have anything to offer in and of ourselves, but we have everything to offer when we stand with the Lord.